Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Good morning. Um, my name is Chris Causey. I'm glad you're here today, and I want to make sure. Yep, I'm good. Um, the whole concept of this series is called Better. And the idea and the premise is really simple. Um, better is better, period. And that we come into the year, like every single year, with the idea that my year is going to be better. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. And what happens over and over is we get to the end of this year, and it looks like the end of last year. My marriage is still the same. My relationship with my kids is even more strained. My financial position is in the same position. My faith is still stagnant and is not growing. And we wanted to start off this year a little bit different. And, um, and the whole goal of this series over the last couple weeks and to set the stage for the next couple weeks is how do we move into a year that's better? We know it won't be perfect. We know it can't be perfect. But I do know regardless of where you are, because of who he is and what he is able to do, I do believe your year can be better. And it doesn't have to end with you getting to the end of this year bitter and frustrated. Um, the first two weeks of this series, we started off with the idea that in order for us to see better grow, we have to let something go. But oftentimes there's, there's barriers that get in the way of us progressing and moving forward. Last week, we kind of dug into the idea of our thought life shaping our, our real life, that what happens up here doesn't stay here. It eventually finds its way out there. And that because of Jesus, the the wonder of the central message of Christianity is that not only can you have new thoughts, but that you can be new. And that changes everything that you do. And over the next two weeks, I want to shift gears a little bit and press into a little bit more practical. Today is going to be very practical because I really want you to have the tools and have the handles to say, okay, what does it look like to move into better? And so I apologize in advance if, if I feel like, feel like I'm offending you for the simplicity of today. The challenge with most of us, me included, is not that we don't know what to do is that we don't do it. I don't know if you've got that problem. I, I know how to budget. I know how to add and subtract. I know how to be kind. I know how to say, I'm sorry when I've done something wrong. But when it comes to the moments, that's where we struggle and that's when we stumble. And so today I just wanna kind of dig into one of the, probably the most um, impactful passages in my life. It's a simple sentence. Um, on the surface, it's a lot like, um, oh, yeah, I know that. That, oh, that makes sense. But its depth is found when you start to actually process through it what it means for your life, what it means for you where you are. And the passage is written by a guy named Moses. Now, Moses, um, if you're new to the Christian experience or you're new to even to the Bible story, Moses is one of those champions that we've sung about. He's one of the heroes of the Christian faith, of the Jewish faith. Moses was a man who grew up looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be somebody. 
I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to do something. It's going to make me stand out. And then the day he does something to stand out, he falls out straight on his face. And it causes him to have to flee. And for the next 40 years of his life, he's a fugitive. He's a nobody who doesn't even want to look in the mirror anymore. Because his life is the exact opposite of what he wanted it to be. And then, in this miraculous turn of events, Moses becomes the man that he'd always dreamed he would be, and then some. The last third of Moses' life, he's tasked with going into the most powerful nation on planet Earth and telling Pharaoh, right, hey, let my people go. Now, just imagine, right, you're, you're Moses, you've been, for 40 years, you're a nobody, and to the most powerful man on planet Earth who is responsible for building things that we still can't build in our modern era called the pyramids, the man who actually believes he's God. Like, I know you think your boss has a God complex. This guy actually thought he was God. And so here's Moses. Moses walks up in there, and he's like, hey, remember me? You see that poster over there? Like, Egypt's most wanted. That's my face. I've aged a little bit. Desert hasn't been that good to me. I've grown out my beard, got a little bit of gray. Um, put on some weight. So you probably wouldn't have recognized me. But that's me. Yep, I used to be that good looking before, you know, that happened. Now, um, I'm, I'm actually here not to turn myself in because that would be slightly ironic. No, I'm actually here because I've been out in 40 years for the desert. That's why you never found me because I've been hiding in the mountains over there. Um, but that's beside the point. Actually, what I'm here for is while I was wandering around in the desert dealing with taking care of and managing a bunch of animals, that's a secondary story I'll tell you later, um, I came across the bush, and the bush happened to be on fire. Now, I know what you're thinking, a bush on fire in the middle of the desert, that's not really a big deal, because bushes catch on fire, like a lot of things catch on fire, lightning, bam, boom, boom, sparks, right, and fire happens, but that's, that's, no, 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 you need to understand why I'm here, is because that bush that was on fire that caught my attention, because I didn't have anything else to do, because I'm wandering around the desert running from you, well, that bush, when I walk up to that bush, that bush says, Moses, have you ever heard a bush talk to you? I never had a bush talk to me, but that bush talked to me, and that bush said my name twice, Moses, Moses. And then that bush told me to tell you to tell to tell you that that bush was actually the voice megaphone of God who wants his people to go free. So I'm here to tell you that a bush told me to let his people go free. All right? Good. Like that's Moses. If a bush told you to go to your boss and restructure the like we would we wouldn't go to our boss we would go to a therapist right and so here's Moses telling the most powerful man in the world a bush told me to tell you let my people go and and to demonstrate that power and that authority God does something miraculous he actually frees them through Moses and Moses towards the end of his life writes this sentence that's so critical that I want you to hear he says in Psalm 90:12, which is already preloaded in the app for you, he says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. It's a simple sentence in the midst of a larger reflection around life. Um, it's a really beautiful psalm. It's not the most uplifting psalm when you first read it because Moses is writing from a lot of depth. But Moses writes the words, teach us to number our days. And in the process, what happens is that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Now, this is the verse I want to unpack for you. Um, he begins with the idea of the first two sentence and the first two words in the sentence that I think is actually an extraordinarily encouraging thing for you and me. He says, teach us. Now, the word teach us means you don't know yet. 
right? I mean, that's what teach. If you uh, would frequently with my daughter, I'm like, honey, let me teach you how to do that. No, daddy, I know how to use the chainsaw. No, you don't, sweetheart. Let me teach you how to use it, right? Like, teach us, which means you don't already know. It means it's not, it's, it's different than the default. So when Moses begins his statement with teach us, he's saying as a statement of humility, I don't know. This is not the normal way that I would go about my life. This is not the normal way that I would do things. So he's saying, teach us, give me a different way of thinking than the default that I normally have in my life. I don't know if you've ever tried to parent or try to do relationships, romantic or not, and you walk away and you're like, um, yeah, so that totally failed. I thought I was telling her she looked nice, but she heard Oh, you think that makes me look fat? Or um, I thought I was just being kind in my correction, but undoubtedly I just told my kid they're an idiot. Didn't mean to say that. Or you walk away and you're like, whatever happened in my head did not translate into life. And you kind of have those moments where you're like, there's got to be a different way. I've got to find some different way. And this is where Moses is. He's crying out, teach us. Because there is a different way of thinking about life. But the challenge for you and I when we move into better oftentimes is that we're operating on a default way of thinking that's never going to get us there. It's like getting on I-95 North thinking you're going to go to Florida. It never works any, any time. And so Moses is saying, look, I'm driving I-94, I-95 North and I want to get to Florida, but I don't think this is working out for me. So when he's saying, teach us, give me a different way. And he says, what do you want me to, I want to teach me how to number my days to, to see with a different perspective, because I, I want to have a picture and a perspective of life that helps me to live that life better. Because what happens with most of us is we believe we would never verbalize this, but we treat time like we have an infinite supply, right? Well, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do that next week. Some of us are living in projects that we said we were going to do tomorrow, last year. Some of us have things on our to-do list, relationally, spiritually. Oh, I'll deal with God next, next year, God, I'm going to get serious with you. The reality is, is that we always push off, and underneath the pushing off till tomorrow is the sense that we're, we have it. We've got an infinite amount of tomorrows. And he's saying, God, with that posture of humility that says, teach me, he then starts to turn towards having a grand perspective that helps him to see that he doesn't have an unlimited supply. He actually has a limited one. And what happens when those two collide is something starts to churn on the inside. When a posture of humility looks with a perspective of eternity, something shifts internally. And you start to see things a little differently. He, he kind of encodes that and characterizes that with gaining a heart of wisdom. You see, I think a central principle underneath the surface is if you want to see progress in your life, those things have to be the priority in your life. And if you want better in those areas, you want better progress in those areas, then those have to become better priorities for you in your life because progress flows out of priority and you will see progress in whatever 
your priority happens to be. And I know that sounds simple, but that principle is underneath the surface. And Moses is saying, God, help me to see my life so that I can seize my life. Help me with the view of the limited time that I have. Gain discernment so that I might know the difference between a can-do and a must-do. That with the difference that your perspective brings, that you would help me to see the areas where I'm replaceable versus where I'm irreplaceable. Right? This church can find a new pastor that speaks a whole lot better and probably is better looking and has more hair. But you know what? Ella and Henry, my kids, will never find another me. My wife, and I remind her of this frequently, will never find another me that's better as this thing in total package right here. Right? Like, so it, that discernment helps me to see the places I'm replaceable and it helps me to see the places where I'm irreplaceable. It helps me to remember that which I will not remember and that which I will get to the end of my life and I will regret. It helps me to see the moments that will continue to echo into the lives of people around me and in my life. And it helps me to see the things that I need to let go of. That posture of humility with the perspective collide to give me this insight on the inside that starts to bring better into the outside of my life because I don't fall for the trap of more. See, we're constantly broadcasted on television. Better, more is better, more is better. And sometimes more is not better. More is just more. It's more to put up with. It's more to schedule. It's more to deal with. It's more to get lost. It's more to get broken. And Moses' simple crying out to God fosters something that changes him. There was a guy named... Um, Tyson Still, who made it onto the news last week. Tyson was a 30-year-old. He'd been living in the Alaska wilderness. He had a cabin there. And in the course of um, building a fire one night in his fireplace, he was throwing wood in and then tossed a piece of cardboard. And as he tossed the cardboard, he realized instantly, oh, my goodness, why did I just do that? Because cardboard catches on fire and flies straight up the chimney. Minutes later, he's sitting in there. And his house begins to fill with smoke. And his roof catches on fire from the cardboard that landed right on top of it. And within minutes, his entire house burns down. He loses all of his communication materials. He loses his food. And he loses his dog. And he runs out of the house with just what he has on. And he says as he walked out of the house, like he couldn't even like verbalize the grief that he was feeling because he just lost his best friend. And as he came out of the house, he realized, this is the Alaskan winter. I have a couple hours, and the sun is going to set. And so he begins to grab tarps and pieces of charred wood, and he constructs a shelter, and he finds charred containers of food jars and peanut butter jars. And, and for the next three weeks, Tyson scrapes the bottom of burnt food jars and subsists off that and peanut butter. He's able to put together this little makeshift shed, and he carves out SOS in the snow. And three weeks after his house burns down, a helicopter rides by and spots the SOS, and they end up rescuing him. What was interesting about Tyson's story is how when Tyson comes out of that house, the crisis that he finds himself in helps to promote clarity. Tyson instantly knew the difference between a can-do and a must-do. What I must do is get a shelter. What I must do is get water and food. 
What I can do is some other things, but this is what I must do if I'm going to survive. See, crisis does have this benefit. It does bring clarity around priority. And the challenge is, is that I see this, especially as a pastor, um, people take their marriage seriously when the person across the table looks at them and says, I'm, I'm not sure this is going to work anymore. People take parenting seriously when their teenager looks at them and for the first time they're dealing with something that's beyond what they've ever been able to handle. Maybe it's the police are at that place. Maybe the kid has left. Maybe there's some choices starting to creep in. It, that We all tend to be able to get really good clarity when we find ourselves in crisis moments. When the doctor tells you you've got six months to live, you've got, cl- you've got clarity in your priorities. And what Moses does with this passage that's such a gift to you and me is he gives us a paradigm that helps us to break through the good intentions and move them into good implementation. Because the problem with a crisis is that when the crisis is over, people's priorities go back to the default. They slide back to the way they used to be. And what Moses does here is he gives us a way of thinking that actually prevents us from falling into the trap that crisis often puts us into. Many of us come into the new year with good intentions. This year is going to be better. But not all of us fall into the the rhythm of good implementation. And Moses' heart of wisdom, when he says wisdom, that's truth in action. That's movement. That's rooted in a posture and a perspective that changes things. And so to kind of put a little bit of handles on it, um, I want to take Moses' statement and um, illustrate it. And and I'm going to do it like I'm old school with this microphone here. Because I think the power of Moses' passage is that Moses gives us a picture that, um, when brought to life, gets really, really clear. And this thing is not going to work. Okay. So, anyways. So, what Moses does is he, um, he says, teach me to number my days. And so, he, in the course of doing this, starts to have a perspective of life that looks different. So this is all the things in your life that matter. These are all the different representations of what you do with your time. And then this, this is actual your life. Now, before you get really excited, um, I've actually measured this out. This is um, 112 ounces. That's the average amount of time that a person's awake a week. Now, if you have a newborn, God bless you. Your jar looks a little different, doesn't it? Right? Your jar overflows right now. So congratulations, your jar is overflowing. Um, And if you have a teenager in your house, um, their jar is a lot emptier, right? Because there's a lot less of um, wake time. And so what Moses says is, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Now, we get really excited about that because we're like, perfect. So, here's the challenge. So, before we can get really started with your week, I need to go ahead and disperse some of your time out. So, this is work, okay? Um, You're going to spend 40 hours if you're in school. This is what your life's consisting of in a different type of work. If you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, this is also what your life looks like. And so now we have a picture 
Now this is what you're actually working with. Looks a little different than what you have here. Now, let me continue. The average American, this is crazy, I almost didn't believe it. The average American spends um, almost as much time uh, looking at screens, social media, television. So to reflect that, um, this is the average American's social media, um, average American's television watching. Um, also, this is um, the time you spend in commute, waiting in lines, going to the bathroom, getting dressed. And if you're wondering, am I being dramatic? No. This is all measured out. I have little marks that I know I'm aiming for. And so now, here's what we're left with. So if you're working, you're spending the average amount of time that you, a typical American spends on social media, which is about a little over two hours a day. Um, if you're not sure, your phone, either in the battery settings or screen times, will tell you how much time you're spending on that. Um, television, based on what Nelson's ratings, um, when they track people's television watching, is also, I'm underestimating it because, quite honestly, I was like, there's just no way people spend that much time watching television a day. Um, and then you're going to spend hours of your week eating, um, commuting, and um, being in the bathroom, that's represented in here. I'm not going to give you that stat. That's a little personal. Um, but this is your life every single week. And the challenge for most of us is that we want to go into a new year and we say, oh, you know what? I want my marriage to be stronger. Or, you know, I want my relationship with my kids to grow. I want to get healthy or I want to see, I want to see it look different in my finances or my faith. And so we have these grand and good intentions. And we say, okay, well, you know, honey, um, I'm going to give us a little bit more time. Uh, I guess the kids need something. Um, you know, I, I really want to have a hobby. Um, so, you know, I want to kind of start doing something. Oh, so that's, oh, that's three hours, okay. And, um, well, learning, growing. Uh, developing my faith, uh, finances, yeah. So, um, and then we find ourselves in situations over the course of the week where our kids need a little bit more from us. And got nothing left. And what this visual represents is what many of you have emotionally experienced in the course of your life. When Moses says, teach me to number our days, he's talking about this problem right here, our default, our reacting, our mindlessly numbing, searching, watching. And again, none of these are bad things. I'm not saying any of it's bad. But our default way is it's not intentional. It's reactive. We sit down on the couch. We're tired. We've done all this other stuff. I deserve a little me time, and so, the, you know, the 30 minutes on Facebook turns into a little bit longer, and now I'm, you know, secretly judging people on Instagram because they go to cooler places than I do. And now I'm watching a television show I don't even like, but because Netflix knows that, like, you know, into strong, like, British dramas with a little hint of comedy mixed into it, there's that next one being thrown up instantaneously in front of my, my viewing pleasure. And then I go to bed, and I'm exhausted. 
And I wake up the next morning and I do it all over again. And Moses is saying, God, teach me to number my days, to see what I really have, and to start doing it a little differently. And what happens is when you start to view your life a little differently, then you say, you know what, maybe, maybe some priorities in my life need to change. So I'm going to cut back on some of the time I'm spending on my phone, the time I'm spending watching screens. And because I don't really, I just end up mad anyway when I see what other family members or friends are doing. Or if you're living in a stage with a newborn, you just see other people like having a life. You're like, must be nice to be able to shower before 3 p.m. Oh, great. Love that plate that you're looking. This is what I'm doing. I got mashed up carrots all over me. That's what my life consists of right now. And so Moses is saying, teach me. And so we start to say, okay, well, what's priority? This is going to happen no matter what. I've got to work. And so this is where I'm going to spend that time. But then what am I going to do that's going to get the rest of my time? How am I going to order my life around that? And then you start to rearrange it when you have a numbering of your days. You start to say, you know what? I really want to see, I really want to see my marriage get stronger this year. So I'm going to commit to spending time going on a date. I'm going to commit to spending time having conversations and walking in the house and asking questions about how was your day and not just responding, oh, good, and then moving on. And what happens is the beauty of this is it gives you flexibility. When you're able to see where you are, you're able to start to seize where you are, even the season. Remember my wife and I, when we were walking through our infertility struggles, um, there was just a lot of grief that we were both walking through. And so our conversation, this is what happened. It's like every night we'd, we'd sit on the couch after all stuff was done and we would talk. Now, you need to know, that's not me. I'm an introvert by nature. I'm okay not talking. But I knew for the health of our relationship, and we were dealing with some other personal stuff with extra family members that I won't get into. But I knew for us to be healthy, for us to have a better marriage, that what was critical was this had to get time. Right now, we're in a season with um, my daughter, who is, you know, now there's a, a little boy that's shown up, and She's not sure what to do with that, and she's dealing with processing through all the emotions that comes with no longer being the only child. And so right now in this season, she's getting a lot more time because the other kid demands a lot more of it. And so we're trying to be intentional. Now, we're not going to do that forever. We're always going to be intentional with our daughter, but there's extra step and extra time that we're throwing in that we know in this season, in order for us to seize it, we have to focus on it. Maybe for you, that what is kind of the dominant place is, you know, your finances are completely jacked up and you've got to do something different. And maybe it's, you, you know, you need to take that certificate class because if you're going to be able to, to develop and grow in this so that this financial situation gets better, then you need to spend some time in this season growing and learning. And maybe you want to get a little bit better and get a little healthier. But even in the midst of all of this, What happens is you eventually get to the end of the week, and this is where you are still. And when you number your days, you're able to separate more, and you're able to ask the question, is this more a better, or is this just a more? 
And if it's just a more and it's not a better, then I don't have time for it right now. And if you have this an ability to, to number your days, then you're able to say, you know what? I, I want to see this grow. And so this is where things need to go right now. It's not forever, but it may mean that you give up certain hobbies because this, this requires more of your time. And if you're building a business or you're an entrepreneur, then you, you go ahead and add another cup to this thing because that's where your life is. You're not here. You're in a different place. And some of you are, are in high-demand jobs, and you go ahead and add that cup or two because that's what it requires of your life right now. So this is not a picture of you. This is a picture of the average version of you. But what it does is it puts in front of us a living picture of what Moses is crying out for. And what can be discouraging when we start to move towards better is that we feel this. We get to the end of the week and we say, but I'm still empty. I still don't have enough. There's still some other areas where I want to see growth. And this is where Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33 come alive. Because Jesus understands something about time that you and I, and even Moses himself, didn't know about. Um, Paul, writing to Timothy, picks up on the same theme in 1 Timothy 4, 8, when he says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He gets that concept from Jesus, who in Matthew 6, 33, says, For, you know, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. And these other things are right in the previous passage where he's talking about, like, this stuff of life. And you can say, well, okay, uh, Paul, Jesus, like, how does that work? This is where I am. This is what I have. And yet, this is all I can do with it. And this is where the word priority, which is what Jesus elevates, come into play. See, Jesus comes into the equation. He says, hey, hey, seek me first. And that first is appointing us to the priority piece. That the first thing you seek is the most important thing. Remember how we talk about what we order is what we're going to see kind of in the outcome of our life. And so the first thing, the thing that gets our first thoughts, that gets our first energy, it's the one in priority. There's actually a debate. I won't bore you with it. But there's actually a debate in, within etymologists around the word priority. Because the word priority comes from this Latin phrase, which means um, before. It's the first. And so the debate is, can you really have priorities? Because if the, if the true root of the word priority is the first thing, the before thing, then you can't have multiple number ones. You can only have one number one. And so Jesus comes along and he tells his disciples, and then Paul tells his disciple, Timothy, his follower, make the pursuit of him, make him his values his, his way of life, who he is, the first thing. And this is, for those who are in this room or listening online who are Christians, this is where I think the true wonder of what God does in our life shows up. Um, because when you start to prioritize him, there's a promise, right? He says, do this and all these other things will be added. He's like, make sure you put me first. Prioritize me. And when you prioritize me, then what you find is not just the quantity of your life gets better. The quality of your life gets better. He says, look, make me the priority. And what happens 
is that I come and I bring life to wherever your life is already being poured out. And so you, you, you're wanting to, to actually start to work on the relationships with your family members, your mom, your dad, your brother, your cousins. Like, pour me out into that. Seek me first, and then pour me out. Empty me into those relationships. Show up as me in those relationships. And what will happen, he says, is if you do that, it will make a qualitative difference. So now you're showing up, and you have a little bit, little bit more of sacrificial spirit, a little bit, a little less confrontational, a little less argumentative. And you notice that your sibling, actually, you can get along with them when you're not arguing with them, because you're bringing a little bit more than just you to the table. It's qualitatively different, and you empty yourself out in that. And then he says, all these other things should be added. And you're like, well, okay, how does that work? And he says. Well, in your marriage, how about pour me out in that too? Pour me completely out. And so now you're sitting down with your spouse, and it's not all about you. Selfishness kills relationships. But when you show up and you're not channeling selfishness, you're channeling that flow that comes from him. And you're willing to be humble. And you're willing to set aside you for a second to listen to them and to un let them draw out where they are. Then it starts to transform your marriage. You pour yourself out in that. And then he says, but you seek me. And what will happen is there's more. And now who you are as a parent looks different too. You're a little bit more patient when they would typically make you want to lose your mind. Right? You have a little bit more self-control when they're out of control. That it shows up in your work and that in the meetings and in your interaction with coworkers, you can be different. And that he says, look, if you, if you seek me, what will happen is I start showing up. You can start to bring me to the table. That when you seek and prioritize me, right? So let me get real personal for a second. Just kind of get into my life. Um, we'll kind of illustrate it. So um, let's say you're like, okay, I want our financials to be stronger, right? Um, this is where a lot of people struggle with the whole idea of God, so, including Christians. We're like, the church just wants my money because that dude's 2003 Buick LeSabre, I know he's secretly eyeing the 2005 Buick LeSabre, Right? It, the other seat was electric too, right? Like, I know that the church is just out for my money. No, and, and so we miss it when, because this is one of those areas where there's a clash, okay? But here's what I have found. I didn't grow up in the church. I became a Christian in college. So I've wrestled through this. And when I read the Bible, I see that God is calling out my life to look generous. And, and so I'm like, well, I'm, God, that's really tough. Like, I only have so much. You want me to give a percentage of what I, what, to, what? That's crazy. He's like, trust me. And so our family, over, over 10%, families here, over 10% of what we make, the first thing goes to him. And here's what I've learned. Because we were doing that when we were graduate students and we had no money and we've done that through 
multiple waves of seasons of life. And what I've found in every single area of my life is that God is able to make ways where you feel like there is no way. God is able to bring life into a relationship that you feel like is dead. God is able to continue to pour out who he is, even when who you are feels like there is nothing else. That there's something miraculous about the way that he keeps pouring. Even when we're like, God, I'm empty. God, there's nothing left in me. God, I've given it all away. There is nothing else. He's like, just trust me. Make me the priority. And when you make me the priority, I will show up in that. And I will work in that. And you will have more to pour out. You will have more to give in those relationships. Because when you honor me, I honor that. And I wish I had the time to unpack fully what does it look like to, to make him that, that priority. But here's a, my promise for you. Um, our Facebook page, um, tomorrow afternoon, I will post a practical um, video. If you're wondering, what does it look like to have a prayer life? What does it look like to read the Bible in a way that's going to make it like, what does it look like for me to make him first? Um, we have something called the 112 that we've created to answer that question over six weeks. But over the course of, of a few minutes on the Facebook page on Monday afternoon, I'm going to give you a way to pray and a way to read the Bible that will put some handles on it so you can start to step in and experience what does it look like to prioritize him. And that for some of you, if you're new to the church or maybe you're like, okay, I know there's more to faith and I want to encounter that, then I want to invite you at the end of the service next week. At the end of the service next week, we're doing something called Jumpstart. And jumpstart is a way that we want to kind of come alongside of you and say, hey, we want to help you get a jumpstart on your spiritual growth. We want to help you get a jumpstart on getting connected at the church. And for 15 minutes right after the service, next week's message will be abbreviated because of it. Um, right after the church in this room, we'll kind of walk through some of the ways that you can, you can experience more here at Encounter. Because there's more to encounter in your faith than what you're currently experiencing. And for those who are still journeying in the Christian faith, um, I've, I've made this um, offer to you and I'll keep making it. And actually, I'm working on some stuff for you. Um, that this year, if maybe you're looking at this and you're like, okay, I don't, I don't buy the Christian thing. But this, this looks interesting. I want some of that. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? How does it, I've got some questions around that. And I want to encourage you, instead of just rejecting it, throwing it out. That you make 2020 the year you inspect faith. That you look into it. You ask questions. Legitimate questions deserve legitimate answers. And there are thoughtful, intelligent people who have journeyed with God, who've wrestled with the things you've wrestled with. My undergrad was in biochem. I have wrestled through the science questions. I have wrestled through how, how can you know? I'm a skeptic by nature. I'm, I'm a dismisser by nature. I used to pick on Christians. And so I really genuinely mean that your questions deserve a legitimate answer. That's a little bit more than just a, well, you, you just need to have faith. Because our faith isn't built on some kind of abstract theoretical. It's built on a resurrection of a living Savior who came back from the dead. And there is evidence and there is proof and there is confidence that flows when you start to lean in. And so... If you want to learn more about faith or if you want to explore more about faith, you can click on the icon, Exploring Faith, or Swing by Starting Point. I'd love to set up a time, have coffee with you, pass a book or a video on to you that can help to start to unpack some of those questions. 
And for the rest of us, regardless of where you are in your journey, whether you've taken a step of faith or whether you're just kind of sitting right now with your hands and kind of crossed and not really interested in faith, the reality is, is that better flows from poverty. And what you prioritize in your life will be the progress you see in your life. And if you want to see progress in that, whatever that might be this year, then it needs to move up in your priority. Because where we place it will depend on what flows out of it. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.